0: A young mother had a son, a kind-hearted boy who always tried to do what's right. As he grew older, he worried about others more than himself. Whenever he saw anyone suffering, he tried to heal and comfort them. But more people became sick. Disease ravaged the land. People were quarantined, isolated. Many didn't survive. It became too much, and he had to isolate himself. He cried as he thought about all the unbearable things the people were going through. The mental anguish racked him with sorrow. But it was his cross to bear.
1: start by talking about uh, the church in 2023 uh, Barner research found that in 2020 just one in four Christians were considered practicing Christians one in four people in all of America are now practicing Christians practicing Christians agree strongly that faith is important in their life and they have attended church at least once a month during the year now non-practicing Christians so these are people who identify as Christians but they're non-practicing they self identify as a follower of Jesus but they don't qualify in actually practicing it in any way in terms of church attendance or giving or acts of service things like that and then non-christians are US adults who do not identify as a Christian at all back in 2000 45% of all those sampled in America qualified as practicing Christians. So we've gone in 20 years from 45% down to 25%. Thus, this campaign that we're preaching on during this worship series, he gets us. Now, I think a lot of it is because some people, they see the Bible as an outdated book of primitive, barbaric fairy tales that we have just moved beyond science has surpassed explaining things that perhaps the Bible misunderstands. and so they ignore the Bible missing all the progressive and enlightened ideas that first entered human history from the writers of the Bible kind of reminds me of my mom's Pontiac back in the 80s my mom had a Pontiac and I want to show you a picture of seats back in the 80s This was in the second row where my sister and I were supposed to sit and notice what's right there in the center of the seat in front of me an ashtray. First off, like, mind you that the fact that, you know, smoking in the car is, you know, a a little bit gross, just having that smoke in there. But, but then imagine an ashtray right next to a cloth seat. And you can imagine all the cigarette burns that existed in cars back in the eighties when we thought that was a good idea. This would be very outdated in a modern car very very outdated but i think what happens is we apply the same thing to the bible and yes i realize almost all of it was written over 1900 years ago some of it even more thousands of years before that but the bible was ahead of its time and if we're being honest it's often ahead of our time as well because many of the ideas and the ideals of the Bible, we still fall very short of. Very short. And so, what this campaign that he gets this campaign is trying to show is that it's trying to show the Bible in a whole new way. It's trying to show Jesus in a way that's truly authentic. It's a collection of the Bible is a collection of books that deal with loss and anger, transcendence weariness it confronts empires talks about money and fear and stress and joy and doubt and grace and healing and today heartbreak and who doesn't want to talk about those things that's the human condition that's what we all struggle with so what this campaign is trying to do is trying to show us that it's actually super interesting and it's really helpful And that leads me into our lesson today. This is from the gospel of Matthew, the story of Jesus from one of his friends, one of his very own disciples, Matthew, the guy who was a tax collector and instead gave it all up, gave his career up and became a disciple of Jesus. And Matthew records this, something something that he observed that happened, something that he was along for the ride. This is what he writes about his Lord. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing, this is a huge word here, every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, including Matthew, he said to Matthew, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Back in 1985, there was a 49 year old lady named Bridget who was walking home from the dentist when something horrific happened. A massive crane that was on top of one of the skyscrapers fell. Entrapped her, crushing her legs. First responders arrived and and, and they were there, but it took six hours to get the crane off of her. Miraculously, she survived. In fact, she just died recently, just just about a, a year ago at age 85. But when she was asked just a couple days later by a TV reporter, how did you survive? She said this. Paul, one of the first responders, he didn't help get the crane off of me. He just held my hand for six hours. That's why I'm still alive. The compassion of a stranger reminds us how powerful it is when we show people we care, especially when they're in the most heartbreaking situations. They're going through the toughest things in their life. And if you live very long on this earth, you will find yourself in trouble, or you will find yourself just getting out of trouble, or you will find yourself about to be in trouble because that's a part of living here. We will all deal with it. We will all deal with struggle. We will all deal with trouble. We will all have heartbreak. And Jesus' answer to all, of that seems to be that compassion helps people get through it. Compassion's the key. When we show compassion, therefore, to other people, not they don't just get blessed, we also get blessed. See, Jesus gets us. And when we follow Jesus, we start to get him. He sees people through the eyes of compassion. He sees your life and everything you go through, even the mistakes you make. Jesus sees you through compassionate eyes. And so when Jesus is doing these acts of service and acts of healing, when he's showing compassion on crowds, it just says that greater and greater crowds will come around him. And I think it's because compassion like that is rare. We can do it too. In this passage, Jesus is busy ministering across the region, teaching, preaching, touching people, it says, which means he's he's laying hands on them, praying for them, and healing them. But suddenly he stops and he looks at the crowds that are coming in and he stirred with compassion, stirred with compassion. What can we learn from this? Verse 36 again, it says the crowds came around him. He had compassion on them. They were harassed. They were helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. How do you see people? How do you see people what labels have people given you how do people see you I think a reason the show the office was so popular and is still so popular now even in syndication is it identified the stereotypes of people and some of us identify with a lot of those stereotypes but people are more than that and you are more than that and you are more than your past mistakes we should see people the way Jesus did what did he see he saw people that were harassed and helpless which literally in Greek it says people that were torn down and thrown down torn and thrown down this could describe their religious condition it also could describe their physical condition And so I wanna offer four things that I think we can do that we can learn from this passage and that I think Jesus has always been trying to teach his church, that his Holy Spirit is still trying to inject in the church. Number one, could we begin as the church of Jesus Christ, his body here on earth? Could we see people as Jesus saw them? That's what verse 36 is begging us to do, to see people as Jesus saw them. Because God apparently is drawn to people who need him? Jesus had been in ministry, but rather than counting his accomplishments, he saw those who were in need. I don't know if you've ever been to a Salvation Army, but when William and Catherine Booth founded the Salvation Army back in 1865, that's how long it's been around, in 1865, they were focused on the people who, in their words, ignored, the people who were abused, the people who were marginalized in London, England. In a vivid illustration of this calling, each Christmas, a London tradition would see that the churches would send out representatives to call on the people and to serve the people. The Anglicans would call on the Anglicans and the Methodists would call on the Methodists and the Catholics would call on the Catholics and so on and so forth. And after all the invitations were given and the the remainder without churches were left, Booth would shout out to these people and he would say, all of you who belong to no one, you're with me. We're your church. They became the church for those who had no church. I like to think that Messiah is that kind of church. We are for St. Charles. Everybody in it. And yeah, some of you from West St. Louis County too. Some of you live in Washington and Augusta too. I know there's other counties too. But God has placed us in this area and some of us drive just minutes and some of us drive close to half an hour our message you're welcome here God wants you here the word for compassion in Greek as it's used over and over again in the Gospels about Jesus his compassion is the word that literally means bowels like guts like intestines like a gut-wrenching concern Jesus has Jesus was physically moved by a stomach turning empathy for people. He was sickened by the poor leadership of Israel's hypocritical religious leaders. These people needed spiritual shepherds. Instead, they got spiritual bullies. Why does that always seem to be the case with really religious people? They're just spiritual bullies. The most spiritual people too often aren't filled with the love and compassion like Jesus. They look so much more like Pharisees even today. The church has to repent of this. We need to repent that this happens too often. Compassion in, in our language means with passion. With passion. Jesus showed this passion toward neglected People and he proved his compassion on the cross. When we grasp the power of mission, we can see how it changes everything. Like back in 1983, John Scully met Steve jobs for the first time. John Scully was the CEO of Pepsi. Apple was a young company. Pepsi was a pinnacle company. One of the largest companies in the world. But Steve Jobs asked him a critical question. Do you want to sell sugar water for the rest of your life? Or do you want to come with me and change the world? And then everybody can be on TikTok and go crazy. No, he didn't say that. He didn't say that. But that question convinced Scully. And soon after, he and Steve Jobs helped lead Apple into one of the most revolutionary companies in the world. Number one, see people as Jesus saw them. Number two, be moved the way that Jesus was moved. For Christians, this can be a challenge, but we need to feel that gut wrenching thing when people are like sheep without a shepherd. Francis Schaeffer said it rightly, biblical orthodoxy without compassion is surely the ugliest thing in the world. Jesus demonstrates to us that compassion lies at his heart for his mission to the world. This involves going into their burdens, their illnesses, their brokenness, their pain in ways that can be uncomfortable for us. But a Christian that stands on the sidelines and doesn't reflect on the mission of Jesus, well, then they don't matter, no matter how good their theology is. Jesus continues with his words. He says in verse 37, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. After seeing the people and being moved by their plight, Jesus turns to his disciples. Jesus' disciples, which begins with the 12, but it, it continues with all of you, if you're a follower of Christ. He turns from the shepherd analogy and he, and he changes it to agriculture. Jesus sees the need for workers to work the field. It's easy today to be discouraged in a world that seems growingly and growingly like disinterested in the Lord, disinterested in faith. But Jesus is reminding us here of the problem ain't the harvest the harvest is good the harvest is good but workers need to have the same compassion as Jesus did today we are starting our recruitment for community groups now I have loved leading a group I loved getting to know my group and I love it because our group right now after about a year together, we're starting to strategize, how can we use our gifts and our talents, and maybe even some of the gifts and talents of some of our friends and family members, like if we need help fundraising for something or, or whatever it might be, but how can we use our gifts and talents to bless our community here, to show St. Charles, to show the people in our community, show our neighbors, we love you, we're for you, we wanna help. And. We're looking to launch our plan, and, and we're about to do this in just a coming week. So we're super excited right now, and we we want our group to specialize in compassion. And I think it's born out of something that that we went through as a group. And so I want to introduce you to my friend John and his wife Jordan, and I'm going to let them tell their story.
2: Everybody that we've kind of met going along the way, and just in the two years really that we. Messiah, it's changed who the people we rely on are, who I can depend on, who I can actually like reach out to when there is something, you know, whatever it might be, any kind of problem, any kind of question, anything.
0: We wanted to get to know the people of Messiah. Our, at that point, Emerson had started preschool. We wanted... Um, we saw faces every day but we didn't know them we like i like oh i recognize your face hi oh i recognize your face hi you know but i wanted to know them like i and we wanted friends <laughs> we, that's what we wanted we wanted we wanted friends that like were like minded like us that were very like real really um, and that were real in faith and real in um, like just every day so, and so we joined because we wanted that support group.
2: initially going in I was very hesitant and nervous you know when we first went into the group and we were sitting around at the tables kind of like putting you know we were being put together with who we were gonna be with I um, two of the people that we ended up being in a group with were people that we had already met and talked to, I'm like, well, good, at least there's somebody here that I know, and that worked, and then as everybody kind of filled in, it it was like, well, these are all people that I can definitely see talking to and be comfortable with, and it grew from a, like, I don't really think I want to do this, to, okay, we can do this, to, all right, I'm I'm, I'm good now, like, (laughs) I'm comfortable, so.
0: On August 18th, um, I get the call about 8 o'clock. 8.30, 8:30, um, John, and you were in a motorcycle accident. He was driving down a country, a country road and come up came up on construction, brakes too hard and went over the handlebars. Bike too. Thank goodness it didn't land on him, but he was down. And that night was we were just wondering is he going to make it. He doesn't remember anything from the week and a half that he was in the hospital, a week in ICU and then a few days out for recovery. Our community group was amazing. Messiah itself was amazing. A woman in our community group like got like snacks and gift cards and um, like gas gift cards and just like the prayers. I mean like I would have been fine with just prayers. Like that's what my husband needs now is just like prayers. Like he needs God just to like heal him. But they didn't stop there. They took care of us. Like these people that didn't even know for a year like dropped what they were doing to help us. And that's like, we've never had that ever. And I was just like overwhelmed with like just the love that I felt. So, what would you say to somebody who's like on fence? Just do it. (laughs) Even though you're scared. Like, he says, oh, it was all you, it was all you. And I was excited, but going to that initial like meeting and actually doing it, I was nervous. You're like opening yourself up to these people and this new community, I mean, community group. But this new community of people, who are real, like yes, like it says, we'll be there for you. We're like we want to get to know you. We, but it's true. Like they got to know us and they liked us, I guess, (laughs) and they helped us in our greatest time of need and are still there for us. And like we're just real with them, and it's amazing.
1: Aren't their kids cute? At first, um, we definitely were not sure if John was going to make it. In fact, we didn't know that for a couple days. And um, slowly and surely, he's back, even at a new job and everything. So proud of him. Jesus gave a prayer request to his disciples. And you would wonder, you know, Jesus, the Son of God, what does he care about praying for? His prayer was a cry for more workers to be sent. Imagine this. You can be the answer to Jesus' prayer. Especially when you're moved for compassion to care for others and tell others about them. This is such a core commitment of our community groups, not just to meet for Bible study, not just to to meet for fellowship, not just to meet to pray for each other and all those things matter, but to be a body of service and love to our community. Community groups is how we mobilize the church from these seats out into our community and neighbors because you know your community and you know your neighbors and you know your coworkers. That's the key. It's how we mobilize. It's not enough just to study. It's not enough just to pray. we got to be out there. we got to be helping people. And so the question remains, will you be the answer to this prayer of Jesus? Number three, pray the way Jesus prayed. Pray the way Jesus prayed to send out workers into the harvest field. Jesus' prayer is literally that workers be driven out into the harvest He told his disciples in Acts chapter one, right before he was about to ascend into heaven, he was gonna leave them in charge. He was gonna give them the keys to the car. He was gonna give them the keys to the kingdom. He said, I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and in St. Charles County, the ends of the earth, he says. When the spirit came at Pentecost in Acts chapter two, the very next chapter, they all spoke of God to others even in the tongues of others, the languages of other people. And then in Acts chapter 8, persecution casts believers out of Jerusalem. So what did they do? People are trying to kill them. What did they do? In Acts chapter 11, we read that about these cast-out disciples reaching people and planting a church at Antioch. And God continues to do so today locally and globally into the harvest field c.s lewis observed that pain insists upon being attended to god whispers to us in our pleasures god speaks in our consciences but god shouts in our pains it's his megaphone to rouse the deaf world In seeing the pain of the crowd, Jesus sees something that needed to be attended to. This was not secondary or an added benefit to his mission. It was dead center on his mission. We are the sent people of God. And then finally, number four, do what Jesus asks. The mission is global, but it's also personal. How is God calling you to show compassion? When I was a kid, one of the hymns that we would sing at church was called onward Christian soldiers marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before and it was in a section of our hymnal called the church militant the church militant that always gave me the heebie-jeebies the church militants because the church used to be pretty militant and I'm not just talking about the Crusades I'm not just talking about the the killing of heretics, which they actually threatened Martin Luther with, by the way, because he translated the Bible into a regular normal language, German. They were ready to kill him for it. Or the Salem witch trials. Those are all the things they teach you in school about the church. But the church militant was never meant to represent all of that. It was meant to represent Jesus because Jesus didn't just have compassion on people. Jesus fought for people. Jesus didn't just have compassion. Jesus had compassion with power to do something about it. Supernatural war that he was waging against illness and against possession. Supernatural war against physical disabilities. Jesus was waging war on the power of sin that was hurting people. And you know, Jesus' biggest act of compassion, of course, was submitting to the cross. He chose the cross. He gave his life for your life. That's the gospel. He fought the power of sin so that we wouldn't have to fight it. He did it on our behalf. And He fought the power of sin so that you wouldn't have to, which means that divine forgiveness was not a possibility until Jesus spilled his blood. And then divine forgiveness was shadowed all over the world. The Bible thinks Jesus is a warrior, a warrior against evil. And he calls his church to be the same. Now, I don't know how you... Feel about miracles, but after reading the scriptures, I think Jesus wants you to believe in them. He intends for you to believe in them today. I want to ask you something as your pastor stop praying for stuff, start praying in power. Stop praying like it's a wish list. Start praying and power after my friend john's accident our group met up and we didn't do a bible study that night it was our very next meeting and we met in my backyard and i shared a status with everyone right after you had called me jordan and we had talked and you told me everything was happening and we said we're not we're not gonna do a bible study tonight we're just gonna pray we're just gonna pray And we prayed for healing for his body not just that the doctors would do their job we prayed that god would do his job and we prayed for you jordan his wife for strength for you so that you now could care for your husband and we prayed for your kids that your kids hearts would be protected because they would be wondering where dad was And we prayed for overwhelming generosity to rain upon their family so that any loss of income or whatever would happen during the healing process, that that wouldn't be the burden, that the burden would just be healing. We prayed that God would do something because we believe God can and God does, and he did. Last year, one of our teenagers was facing a weird life-threatening illness. And just like we prayed for John at the time of his motorcycle accident, we also prayed for Parker. We were praying and praying, we were praying here from this stage because there weren't any answers. The doctors, the specialists after specialists, they were at a loss to how to help Parker. And that situation got scarier and scarier. He couldn't go to school. He couldn't get out of bed. It was like his parents, they they just had to care for him. Grandparents would come in to help so they could come to work here at Messiah. I could see the anguish on their faces all the time. And we had been praying here. I mean, our whole staff, they're our friends We have been praying for them praying for them, and we didn't have any results. And finally, we just said, we're just going to take it a step further. And I gathered four of our staff and one of Parker's best friends and asked his parents if we could come do a prayer of healing over him. So we went over there, and we anointed him with oil, as the scripture says, and we laid hands on him, and we prayed. Not just for the doctors to do their job. We prayed for God to do his job. We pray that God would do a miracle. And to start that miracle now, we ask the Lord to be a warrior against the power of illness and disease. Now, if you're a teenager, it's super weird to have a bunch of pastors and other people lay hands on you and pour oil on you and keep their hands on you and praying for you for like half an hour straight. but we prayed for God to do something because we believe God can and does and he did. Ask his mom, Mrs. Dwyer sometime, about where her boy is right now compared to a year ago. Jesus had compassion for people. He saw their heartbreak and so he fought for them. We wanted to fight for John. We wanted to fight for Parker, fight for their lives and their souls.